You're a 415er. 415 You're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415 hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. What is going on, everyone? Welcome into another edition of the 415ers podcast on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. It's Evan Giddings. It's Mark Randy with you, as always. Mark, my man, how we doing? I'm doing well, Evan. A fun weekend to wrap up the regular season across the NFL. Really fun day of uh, football on Sunday for the 49ers, for the Seahawks, for the Detroit Lions. A lot more going on as well. So I'm doing well after a fun weekend of football. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I got up to uh, Tahoe this weekend, hit the nice. slopes. My one day uh, out there skiing kind of representative, a microcosm, you could say, of the 49ers season because oh. I started off slow, took some bumps, may have even <laughs> lost a ski pole at one point, a.k.a. my starting quarterback, maybe even two, but I got back on track, <laughs> worked my way up to a black diamond, hit downhill to end the day on essentially a 10-game win streak. So, you know, just to put that in perspective. Uh, but the 49ers today absolutely waxed the Arizona Cardinals, recording this on Sunday night after the Sunday night football game. So we're going to get you the playoff picture. We're going to dig into the, who the 49ers are going to play as far as the Seattle Seahawks. We're going to look at the entire postseason as well as the entire season, really, that the 49ers have undergone. But, Mark, today, the first thing that I really was – Looking at watching this game, uh, had to do it afterwards because I was driving back from the mountains. But as I was watching this game, I just kept thinking this felt like kind of a perfect script as far as the 49ers taking care of business against their last opponent of the year, ending the game, end of the season, parting on a 10-game win streak, and securing the number two seed in the NFC. I know you'll have your victory lap later in the episode, but that was <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind. It was a little bit of a slow start. Uh, I mean, on the first first drive for Arizona, it was a 77-yard touchdown pass to AJ, AJ Green. The Cardinals went trickeration with David Blau at quarterback. The Niners didn't bite at all. They were not fooled. Diamador Lenore and Tayshawn Gibson were in perfect position to intercept, at least knock away that pass intended for AJ Green. It was kind of just a jump ball and A.J. Green's made quite a living at, at catching those kinds of balls, but he's certainly well past his prime, and the Niners had two defenders in the area. So that was a disappointing start. The Cardinals go up early, but, I mean, from that moment on, the Niners outscored the Cardinals 38-7. to So they picked things up. I will say maybe the one area, and it's related to that slow start, I think that they needed to rely on their top guys a little too much in the first half, Evan. Uh, but they they really got rolling in the third quarter that really no one of any importance, any major importance, uh, had to play too many snaps in the second half. So that was the good news. The bad news was that slow start for the Niners and elite team, much better than this Cardinals team who wasn't ultimately disappointed that they were losing this game because it, it helps out you know, their offseason and their draft pick. But ultimately, a good day for the 49ers despite that slow start. But they were dominant the final three quarters. Death taxes and an opening drive bomb for a touchdown against for the real. 49ers defense. <laughs> I mean, this has happened over and over and over again. And even though I, you know, so... I obviously didn't have a chance to watch the game live, so I was kind of catching up on Twitter, just sort of seeing what some of the beat writers were saying, what you were tweeting, Mark. And it it felt like, before I even saw the play, that I was like, oh my gosh, Diamondo Lenore just got absolutely mossed. But that was just a heck of a play by A.J. Green, in my personal yeah. opinion. Now, whether you want to say he could have made it, somebody could have made a tackle after the catch is another story, but that's just a crazy play. And honestly, one that I felt like kind of worked down the line in the 49ers favor because it felt like they encouraged Sammy Batu or the quarterback for the Cardinals to throw the ball deep, which turned into a couple of gimme interceptions for Deshaun Gibson later on. So it was almost like the fact that they hit the deep one early encouraged them to try and continue to throw the ball deep, which this Cardinals offense, you know, on their, third string quarterback is not equipped to do with the out DeAndre Hopkins without really any weapons whatsoever outside of a 70 year old AJ green. Like they weren't <laughs> really well equipped 
to beat this Niners defense. And then eventually they settled in and I would say returned to form, especially coming off of the game against the Raiders in which everyone was, including myself, was sort of worried about the defense and specifically that secondary. I thought after that deep ball, there wasn't really much that Arizona was able to do and nor did I really expect them to. There was one other drive. Uh, it, it came in the second quarter. They scored on a, on a one-yard touchdown run with about five minutes to go in the first half. That got them back within one. That was their most impressive drive of the game, and it, and it wasn't particularly close. That first one, the long touchdown to A.J. Green, was only two plays. 77 of those 80 yards coming on that one play to A.J. Green. But their other touchdown, their only other touchdown of the game, was a 12-play, 75-yard drive that included conversions on third and 14 and third and 11. So that was an impressive drive. But you're right, Evan. If you take out that first drive where there was the lapse in the secondary, the bad tackling by both Diamador Lenore and Tayshawn Gibson, the Niners' defense returned to form, and it was what you were expecting to see because, as you mentioned, you have a third-string quarterback. I don't even think he actually is the third string. He was on their practice squad because it was Kyler Murray, Colt McCoy, Trace McSorley, and then David Blau, fourth stringer, is the starter for Arizona in this game. The Niners defense needed to get back on that horse, and they did. They don't allow a point in the second half, which had been kind of a theme for the 49ers during this 10-game winning streak. It happened the first handful of times that, you know, during this winning streak. It happened again here to close out the regular season. Nick Bosa got another sack. Tayshawn Gibson had a couple of interceptions. George Odom uh, coming in to play some uh, defense uh, in the second half had an interception as well. Um, so a, a good, good performance for the 49ers defense. And I think, you know, regardless of how the win happened, as long as they got a win, they were going to feel good about themselves heading into the postseason. Uh, I mean, 10 wins is 10 wins. But I think it was also good for the defense to pitch a performance like that specifically in the final three quarters, because it, it kind of reinforces that what you were doing for much of this season is the true you, despite the fact that it was only really only one bad week over the last two and a half, three months. Uh, but this kind of reinforces that the Niners are indeed the best defense in the NFL. And some of those voices after one bad week kind of come through pretty loudly, uh, but the Niners did their best to, to, quiet that down a little bit here this week and now we'll see what the postseason has in store but i agree with you a big day for the defense well number one they help secure a 25 point point differential which usurps the former number one point differential team in the league which i believe was the buffalo bills correct um so the 49ers finished the season with a plus 173 point differential as number one in the nfl and brock purdy finishes his season with a 5-0 record as a starter 6-0 in games that he contributed heavily in uh but of course he becomes one of three rookies in nfl history to have won his first five starts um the big one is ben roethlisberger who did it 13 straight times to begin his career which is pretty crazy but the defense it, it gets back on track and i know that look it's arizona a third string fourth string fifth string quarterback who who cares this is something that i do think the defense needed in a sense of okay the raiders game we can now look at that game as like an aberration. I mean, it it just was a bad day for the defense. And those bad days could come in the postseason. But once again, the offense also, on the other side of the football, puts up 38 points after putting up 37 a week ago. They have now scored 30 or more points in four of Brock Purdy's five starts. So the offense is playing its best football, it seems. And the defense then gets back on track and at least is able to gain some confidence heading into the postseason. That was something that I was hoping to see like you should be able to dominate the Arizona Cardinals and zero points in the second half points to that yet again, that this is a team that even if they get punched in the mouth immediately, like there is no sense of panic. And I don't think it's just because of the opponent on the other sideline. I do legitimately believe it is a D'Amico Ryan's led team that is process based, that understands that when they play their best football, there isn't an offense out there that is going to be able to do what they want 
on every single drive. They may get you twice. They may get you three times. But there's over the course of a 60-minute football game, that defense is going to be able to establish a tone and a pace that they want to play at, that they want to hit at. And to walk out of this football game without any injuries, significant injuries on either, either side of the football, that's why I felt it was a perfect script to this game because your offense continues to hum. Your defense finds itself and at least is able to carry something into the first round of the playoffs. And you're pretty much healthy at the end of the day. So I think Kyle Shanahan is checking off all three boxes in this case and looking at next week against Seattle. I mean, I don't know if there's a team playing better football right now than the 49ers. There isn't. And a couple of numbers to back up some of the points you just made. You mentioned the defense, you know, finding their finding their footing once again. Three interceptions in this game, the win over the Cardinals. They now have 20 on the season. So 20 in the regular season, tied for the best in the NFL with the Pittsburgh Steelers. 20 interceptions tied for the top mark in the NFL this season. You also look at some of the numbers you mentioned. Brock Purdy in the Niners' offensive output when Brock Purdy has played. Five starts, but really six games, including the game against Miami when Jimmy Garoppolo went down in the first quarter. 33 points in a win against Miami. 35 in a win against Tampa Bay. 21 in a win on the road against Seattle. That was that Thursday game, a short week where Purdy really didn't get any practice snaps in. After that, 37 against Washington. 37 against Las Vegas. And now 38 against Arizona. We're at a point now, Evan, where regardless of how you feel about Brock Purdy as a quarterback, regardless of what your eyes tell you, regardless of what you actually think, if you think Jimmy Garoppolo is a better quarterback, you know, you can think that. I'm not going to argue with you till I'm blue in the face about that. But what is becoming imminently clear, Evan, is that this Niner offense is better with Brock Purdy at the helm. They're simply putting up more points. And at the end of the day, the offense that puts up more points is the better offense in my book. 33 points, 35 points, 37, 37, 38 points in five of his six games at the helm with his 49ers offense. They are humming. And a big reason why is Brock Purdy. Also, like, okay, yes. Whether Jimmy Garoppolo is a better quarterback is besides the point. Your point is this offense is better with Brock Purdy under yes. center. Yes. Whether he is, I mean, I think he's a better quarterback right now, but, you know, if you want to stack, whatever, it doesn't matter. But the, the point is you could, maybe you think that Jimmy Garoppolo is a better thrower of the football. You could think that, but the reality is the Niner offense is better with Brock Purdy at the helm. The numbers at this point just simply back it up 100%. But even the eye test would tell you, and I don't want to make this about Jimmy Garoppolo, but even the eye test would tell you that Brock Purdy and this team just clicks. I mean, he's got a 107.5 quarterback rating. That would be number one if, of course, he had qualified and played enough snaps. Like That's how good of football he has played over the last six weeks. I know he technically got in against Kansas City, but that's how good he's been when he has had a chance to play reps. And today against Arizona, like there are still very much a lot. There's a lot of things that he needs to work on that he needs to get better at and that things that he can get better at. But there seems to be a sense of like, we've, we've used the word poise. I think a lot of this podcast, you know, there's a, there's a calmness about him that outside of the Cardinals game, again, we're talking about the totality of right now, the six games that he has played in. There is a confidence that seems to be permeating throughout this locker room that I, I think was already there and really got there after Christian McCaffrey did at mm. the midway mark. But Brock Purdy has taken that confidence of specifically this offense to me to new heights. And, and we're seeing guys like George Kittle become unlocked. We're seeing Christian McCaffrey obviously continue to do what he does. But Brandon Ayuk now over a thousand yards for the first time in his career in his third season. Brandon Ayuk was making some fantastic plays, getting open for Brock Purdy. They play complementary football, and so I don't want to make this necessarily just about the quarterback position because it is, to me, an entire puzzle that Kyle Shanahan has pieced together on offense to the point where we're seeing pre-snap motion, and I have no idea where the ball is going, and it's clear that the defense on the other side does not know where the ball is going either, whether it's on the ground, whether it's through the air. There are so many openings 
for Brock Purdy to be able to capitalize on, and he hasn't hit all of them. But the thing is, he doesn't have to. 15 of 20, 183 touchdowns is not a dominant day. But when you look up and see 38 points, you see a major piece of the puzzle doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And that's why Brock Purdy has taken this offense to a different level. I'm I'm glad you brought up the, the weapons on offense because there was a play that specifically made me me think of that because of the way the Cardinals reacted. It was the Elijah Mitchell five-yard touchdown run in the second quarter that gave the 49ers a 14-6 to lead. It was a shotgun snap for Brock Purdy, Elijah Mitchell on the left hip of Purdy, and McCaffrey was lined up in the left slot. He comes across in motion from left to right, the defense moving with him because McCaffrey is the ultimate weapon. There's so much indecision and questioning going on in the minds of the Cardinals defenders. Uh, you can see it. You can almost feel it. They see McCaffrey go in motion, and, and you can just sense the indecision in their heads. They do not know what to do. They know they need to cover Christian McCaffrey out wide. He's getting a running start coming across in motion. He could get it on a on a snap, a quick handoff to him. He could be around the edge and in the end zone before you know it. So you got to respect that. But then guess what? They just give it to all reliable, the powerful Elijah Mitchell right up the middle. He runs over a tackler to get into the end zone, capitalizes on that indecision and the questioning going on in the Cardinals defenders brains because of what McCaffrey brings to this offense. And he scores a touchdown. And this is the first time in a while we've seen Elijah Mitchell back on the field. We saw Debo Samuel back on the field. We know what Christian McCaffrey can do. George Kittle has 11 touchdowns this season. He's setting career highs in that category. This Niners offense, to your point, Evan, has so many weapons. They make it so incredibly difficult for a defense because there are just simply too many guys to keep an eye on and think about. You try to take away one, the Niners will give it to the other, and that was on display against the Cardinals. This is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Mark Grandy, Evan Giddings, follow Mark on social at Mark Grandy. Mark with a C, Grandy with an I. I'm on social at Giddings 10. Uh, the 415ers are on social wherever you follow Twitter, Instagram, all the rest. Okay, Mark, so I, I am glad that you brought up, well, one, the offense, but also George Kittle and Elijah Mitchell because I thought that the addition of, or I should say the, you know, the re-injection of Elijah Mitchell was going to be huge. I mean, five for 55, two touchdowns is a highly efficient day, <laughs> but he's such a bruiser to be able to take some of the load off of Christian McCaffrey. I don't know how much we'll see it in the postseason, just because I do think that that again, and ironically, you're going to be playing Seattle again, but that Thursday night game, you know, a few weeks back against the Seahawks, I think is kind of the game plan that Kyle Shanahan wants to use come postseason time, which is McCaffrey again and again. <laughs> but the guy that stood out to me today, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hand out some game balls at the end, but the guy that stood out to me today, Mark, is, is George Kittle. Like, I, I know we were talking about Debo Samuel coming back into the fold off of injury and wanted to get him reps because he's going to need it. He's the second most important piece of this offense well, I I gotta re I gotta reorganize my hierarchy, Mark. I mean, and not just because of this Cardinal this Cardinals game. Again, we're talking about what the offense has done since Brock Purdy has taken over as starter. George Kittle has been absolutely unleashed, and when you have a tight end that can get open in the red zone, that solves so many different issues. Along with the fact that you can run the football and you can punch it in, it gives you just a different dynamic way to score points. And that's what Brock Purdy has done with Kittle. And not only did Kittle, I, I, I he had two, he had two receiving touchdowns, but he should get credit for three because that <laughs> second Elijah Mitchell, six yard run. We're talking about pre-snap motion and guys, you know, not knowing defense, not knowing where the offense is going. Well, George Kittle on the right side gets brought in motion to the left. And I don't know if there's a more disastrous, combo block for a defender than Trent Williams and George Kittle, <laughs> who absolutely mauled the defender on the outside to allow Elijah Mitchell to not be hit until the one. And the moment he's at the one yard line, he's not going down after first contact. He muscles his way through for a touchdown. George Kittle absolutely sprung that six year, six yard score to begin the second half and essentially put the game away to allow you to rest some of those guys. So you already gave him one touchdown in the first half. 
He gets the one-yard score in the second half. He also creates the six-yard run at the beginning of the second half. To me, George Kittle, even though four catches, 29 yards, you know, a couple of scores at the bottom for those watching on YouTube may not seem all that impressive. To me, what he has done with Brock Purdy at quarterback has, as in my mind, elevated him to the second most piece, important piece of this offense as far as position and skill players are concerned behind Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly up for debate, I would think. And I, I think maybe to to be fair to Debo Samuel, we got to let him get totally reintegrated back into the offense. I don't feel quite comfortable saying that just yet. But, I mean, your point about Kitt, how Kittle's playing is certainly accurate. I mean, and also – that last touchdown in the final minute of the third quarter, maybe one of the best individual catches we've seen from Kittle, a leaping grab in the back left corner of the end zone, a couple of toe taps, and he's in for his second touchdown of the game. He now has seven touchdowns in the last four games for the 49ers. Uh, one of those games had 120 yards receiving. I remember talking that game in Mexico City um, against the Cardinals that George Kittle was going to have a breakout game. He had two touchdowns in that game because the Cardinals are just extremely bad at defending against tight ends. Uh, and George Kittle is now making a habit of dominating the Cardinals. You look at his last three games against Arizona last year in November. That's last season in 2021 in November. Six catches, 101 yards and a touchdown in November of this past year, this, this season still. Four catches, 84 yards, and two touchdowns. And then today, as you mentioned, four for 29 and two touchdowns. So his last three times out against the Cardinals, he has over 200 yards and five touchdowns. Again, in three games against the Cardinals. George Kittle is a uh, Cardinals killer right now. And um, with Brock Purdy, he's just a, a killer straight up. He is dominating opposing defenses, specifically in the red zone, he is becoming Brock Purdy's favorite red zone target. It's not particularly close, and uh, he's showing off his extreme uh, unique skill set, which is separation from defensive backs and an ability to to jump higher and, and grab balls away from opposing defenders. He's incredible, and and he had maybe not the the biggest day in terms of number of catches and yards, and only four for twenty nine. But when it mattered most, he got open. And Brock Purdy found him consistently in that red zone. Uh, two more scores for George Kittle. A career high now, 11 touchdowns on the season. Yeah, and I'll have to go back and watch not only this game, but but some of those scores in the red zone specifically. Uh, my, my theory behind why George Kittle has been so good is because you have McCaffrey, who obviously you have to pay the most attention to, that forces defenses to use guys that are physical enough to stay with Kittle linebackers, guys that can ship, it forces them to focus more on the run. And then George Kittle ends up being matched up with, you know, a defensive back or someone in the secondary who maybe he's not faster than, but is able with his size to gain enough separation for Brock Purdy to kind of, you know, fit a pass in like he did with a minute left in the third uh, from the one yard line. So either way, he's playing some fantastic football as is Brock Purdy, who adds another three touchdowns to his ledger, 13 touchdowns and four picks for him now on the season. He's been absolutely fantastic. Um, but Mark, you know, back to the entire premise of this, which is, you know, could you have scripted a better game for San Francisco today? I'm just looking at the math and Ayuk four catches, McCaffrey three, Kittle four, Debo two, rushing, Mitchell five, McCaffrey 10, Mason eight, TDP, Ty Davis Price eight. Like, I, I legitimately do think this is the way that Kyle Shanahan, if he had his pick of the litter, would have won in this game, which is you use McCaffrey as much as maybe you, maybe a little bit less in the first half, but you he's the focal point. And then once you start to get those turnovers, which Arizona, look, it felt it kind of just felt like a matter of time before they were going to start making mistakes on offense. And when you give this defense, and especially Brock Purdy, extra opportunities with a short field, it almost is guaranteed that they're going to capitalize on them. And so, like, again, this is, what, a plus-four turnover differential, the <laughs> eighth straight game that the Niners have played with a positive turnover differential, this longest streak in the NFL. So back to, you know, the, the entire game itself, the defense playing well, the offense maintaining its performance, and Brock Purdy playing about as efficient football as possible, you know, Obviously, 10 wins tells you they're they're playing the best football going into the playoffs. But just looking around the NFC, 
I mean, Jalen Hurts looked pretty mortal today for Philadelphia. Um, New York certainly has a chance to upset Minnesota. Dallas got freaking waxed by Washington <laughs> today. And Tampa Bay is a team that I, I really can't figure out. So it, it, it does feel like, Mark, heading into the playoffs, it does kind of feel like it's San Francisco's to lose. I don't know if you feel that way, but that's that's kind of the, what the last couple of weeks have been telling me. Well, I think uh, in relation to the Eagles, it was pretty clear early on the Eagles were not going to run Jalen Hurts and, and let him take any unnecessary hits because that's the one thing that could undo their season, as we've seen now the last couple of weeks. So that offense nearly wasn't nearly as explosive as they normally are because the Giants, you know, around the second quarter, maybe halfway through the second quarter, around halftime, they figured out, okay, Jalen isn't going to run the ball. Like let, let's defend like he's not a mobile quarterback. Like he doesn't have his, his extreme, uh, you know, nice ability to, to run the ball. And, and then the game kind of changed at that moment. That'll be different in the postseason. So Philadelphia still, I think is, is the number one threat. And it's, it's not close for the 49ers in the NFC. Um, and, and maybe I'm, I'm getting a little too in the weeds here for the 49ers specifically. And, Obviously, once they got up by, by 20 points, this wasn't going to be a game where the Niners, as you mentioned, just gave McCaffrey the ball a bunch more times. I mean, he had 13 touches in this game. 11 came in the first half. The other two early in the third quarter, I don't think he had a touch in the last 25 minutes of game time. Um, and that, that was nice for the 49ers. You got Jordan Mason, eight carries. Ty Davis Price, eight carries. Elijah, Mitch Elijah Mitchell, excuse me, as you mentioned, five carries. Not only is this starting unit, Evan, for the 49ers, their, their starting skill group as good a, as any, probably the best. I, I will say not probably the best in the NFL, but they're showing as well. And I know this was garbage time, but they've got some depth. I mean, Jordan Mason and and Ty Davis Price ran the rock really well. And I know those are rookies that you're not going to lean on in the playoffs. At least you would hope so if you do lean on those guys, or you probably have a larger issue that you're dealing with. Um, but the Niners are, are deep as well. So I think they're not only do they have the best starting unit in the league, Evan, but they might just the best offensive group, period, going deep into the bench and into their sideline and deep into the depth chart. Uh, this team was showing off, and it's scary when you consider the fact that the defense is the better unit, but this offense is putting up 30 points like it's nothing, and it doesn't matter who's on the field. Debo Samuel came back for the first time in a month. He had one carry. He had two catches. Just imagine when he's getting the ball eight, nine times in a game in the playoffs, and he's breaking a 15-yard run here. He's making two guys miss. He comes in motion. McCaffrey's in the backfield. McCaffrey split out, split out in the slot. Elijah Mitchell's in the backfield. George Kittle, he's your red zone target. There are so many guys to worry about. And then they have reinforcements coming in off the sideline. This offense is becoming unfair. It really is. And I the last point I want to make about, about this game, too, I also, one thing that stood out to me was, you know, if you're talking about depth, I don't know how much we'll see of those running backs in the playoffs, but I do think we will see that depth of the defensive line in the mm. postseason because that is something that D'Amico Ryans has consistently done in order to keep his guys fresh outside of maybe Nick Bosa, who's out there for the majority of snaps. But, you know, Jordan Willis has really come along Strips in the act. last half of the season who obviously picked up a sack today, forced a fumble, you know, looking at the defensive line, McGill, obviously, you know, Ebukam and, and Amenahue split a, split a half sack in the game today, but you, know, you got, you got Javon Kinlaw who started today, maybe didn't play as many snaps as, as you would have hoped, but you're trying to keep him fresh. And if that's a guy you can just add in and sprinkle in, that's a huge asset. You know, McGill Hyder, I mean, even at the linebacking position, I know Shire went out, during the game. So Burks had to come and come in and, and fill in, but you know, he did an all right job. Flanagan fouls. And I was also hurt, but like this, this defense also, if we're talking about depth, I do think that is where it lies maybe even more than the offense and, and the kind of the horde of running backs you have back there. And I do think it's something that will also play in the postseason just because of how they like to consistently attack and beat you at the, at the line of scrimmage. Um, so that defensive line was impressive to me today, and they have been really the, the entire season. Yeah, I mean, the, the one question, I think, defensively, and, and obviously Dre Greenlaw's 
the question in terms of health. Yeah. Um, Kyle Shanahan did say before the game uh, earlier in the week, uh, he was asked what if this was a playoff game, would Greenlaw play? And Shanahan said, potentially, maybe, possibly. Um, so at least that gives you confidence that it, it's it's certainly not something that the Niners expect to be too long. And I would say it's 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 really too early to be talking about this now, but I would say there's a, a good chance that he does play against the Seahawks in the wild card round, which, by the way, will be on Saturday in the one o'clock hour. It'll be the first game uh, of Super Wild Card Weekend in the NFL. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Uh, but defensively, we talked about Lenore off the top. That is still the weak spot of the defense in garbage time. We did see Janoris Jackrabbit Jenkins get in. He made a tackle. Um, I, I'm not saying the Niners are, are going to make a change like that, but it, it's clear. <laughs> o- Odom's more of a more of a safety for the 49ers uh, for than Deandre Lenore uh, at corner. Ambry Thomas was a healthy inactive in this game. He he was not available to play. That'll tell you what the Niners think about him as a cornerback, at least right now. Um, the Niners are relatively thin there, and we've seen a couple of teams now target Lenore's side of the field um, consecutively in, in consecutive weeks. So that'll be something to keep an eye on uh, as the Seahawks, who boast a really good passing attack. Um, and, and how that does fare in the wild card round, which we'll talk more about as the week progresses. But that still is the weak part of the defense. But ultimately, I mean, it's still the, the best defense in the NFL. So just trying to, uh, you know, get, get better at, at anywhere you possibly can. If there was one weak spot, it, it is that one. But it's just also because everywhere else is so dang good. Yeah. I mean, a sore thumb is going to stick out for sure. Uh, this is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. Please download, rate, and subscribe. Five stars, five stars are appreciated. We come at you three times a week. Okay, Mark, so we haven't looked yet too much at the playoffs. Uh, we're going to dig deeper into Seattle this upcoming week. We got a lot of time to look at also the rest of the juicy matchups across wildcard weekend. But what happened today to allow the Seattle Seahawks to get into the postseason was something that I, I didn't necessarily expect um seattle is going to be the seven seed san francisco the two again like mark said it's going to be on saturday uh that uh that first um for a very first game of wild card weekend so you know obviously you're getting a team the third time but you know seattle <laughs> manages to get by the rams <laughs> and uh baker mayfield today in overtime miraculously enough and then the detroit lions on sunday night football uh, turn that one into a bit of a ball game. And who knows if Aaron Rodgers is going to be coming back to Green Bay. But, you know, we, we were just talking about, you know, what you'd like to see, what you wouldn't. I, I do think you have convinced me, though, Mark, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it felt like Seattle, the third time you're facing them, might present. I, I, there's just something a little bit tricky about that. And especially the way with the Packers looked during the game tonight, the, the Lions just we're pulling out the, the kitchen sink, trying to beat those boys on their own home field and send Rogers potentially home for the last time at Lambeau field. Um, it does feel like Seattle sneaking in, whether it be unfair or not. Um, that that's a team that's going to be very confident heading into that first round of the playoffs. And I, I, I certainly can't overlook them, even though maybe today didn't inspire much confidence from uh, Seahawks fans. Well, We'll get to Seattle. We have all week to do it. I know we'll talk about it a little bit here before we wrap up this up, but I want to focus on the Lions for a sec. I am so sad that their season is over. I have grown to really, really like watching the Detroit Lions. Dan Campbell is one of my favorite people in the entire NFL. I think that Chris Collinsworth, if you were watching the the Sunday Night Football broadcast on NBC, Chris Collinsworth made a really great point. It was after that third and long before the fourth down that they converted to ice the game, where it was the quick throw out to Amon Ross St. Brown, who then immediately, as he's being tackled, tosses it backwards to the running back, who then gains, what, like 12 yards to set up a third and relatively short, which then becomes the fourth and short that they convert. Um, or maybe it was third and third and yeah, long. no, it was third and long. He he pitched it back right. to Swift. It was it was a hook and ladder. Like he called a hook yeah. and ladder on third and long with a game that <laughs> meant nothing. Essentially. And then it became the fourth and short that they converted. And yeah. Chris Collins were said, you know, 
on the broadcast to Mike Tirico, his, his partner said, you know, we, we've been talking a lot. Is this Lions team less dangerous now because they're not, you know, playing for a playoff spot? And Chris Collinsworth was like, well, I'm not sure the Lions call that play if there's a playoff berth on the line. Perhaps they're more dangerous when they have nothing really to play for aside from trying to knock out the Green Bay Packers. I thought that was a, a, a good point from Chris Collinsworth and probably true, but it doesn't change the fact that I have immense respect for Dan Campbell and, and what that team did going into Lambeau. It's not a great Packers team. We've talked about that all season long, but that took some guts to go in there and win. And certainly everyone in the Pacific Northwest was rooting hard for them. So fantastic season to the Lions. Uh, I, I Honestly, I, I know I've, I've talked a lot about how I, I was a little fearful of them, at least of this group. Perhaps I would be most fearful of them. Um, but I was rooting for them to get in, honestly. And I know it, it all went down the drain when Seattle won in overtime in the earlier window uh, as opposed to Sunday Night Football. But I thought the Lions, one of the best stories of the season, I thought they deserved to get a playoff berth. But uh, they showed out on Sunday Night Football. That was quite a game. Yeah, it was. It also put into perspective for me just how father time is is catching up to some of these quarterbacks around the league. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, he is incredible. He is on his way to Canton, first ballot, no doubt about it. But he missed some throws tonight that I feel like even last year he would have made. And who knows if he'll be wearing, you know, that that green and gold jersey again. I did see that Jamison Williams after the game walked up to him and asked him for his jersey. And Aaron Rodgers said, no, I I think I'm going to keep this one. So read into that as much as you would like it. To me, it just says in in a classic Aaron Rodgers fashion that he doesn't know. He he has no clue what's going to happen next year, but just wants to be safe and keep the jersey as a memento just in case. Um, I, I, I personally think that 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 to me is a little bit of a product of a division game. And I think also maybe why Seattle struggled a bit with Los Angeles today, but clearly Detroit, like they wanted that game as badly, if not more than the green Bay Packers. And for a team that had about, you know, nothing to play for figured out they had nothing to play for. They like, I, I can just imagine Dan Campbell before the game, seeing the Seahawks win in overtime, watching that last kick and being like, you know what? I'm going to go out and give a better pregame speech than the one I had already (laughs) planned for my team. Uh So I'm completely on the same page about the Lions as far as them being a fun team, a really fun team to watch in the future as well uh, with with also Dan Campbell. But the question I kind of have, Mark, is like, you know, did the playoff scenario unfold for the 49ers favor? Like, did they get a little bit fortunate in this situation. Like I, I I've come around to the fact that Seattle could be a threat, although I still think they're going to be a touchdown underdog on the road, but you know, would you rather play Geno Smith or Aaron Rodgers? Maybe at the end of this game, I would have said that I would have rather played Geno Smith. Maybe I would have rather played Aaron Rodgers. but with around the rest of the NFC, um, you know, the two seed locked up, like, if, if you're the 49ers, maybe you do think Seattle's the team that's the most beatable. Maybe. Uh, you, you certainly could think that. I mean, I, I think they probably, well, I mean, you know that you've, you've had success against them this season. That gives you a certain level of confidence. But in, in the back of your head, you know, there's that thought and that cliche. Oh, it's hard to beat a single team three times in one year. It's difficult to do. Um, but I mean, when it's when it comes down to it, the Niners are the better team. They have by far. Uh, much more talent, and they're playing better football right now. These are teams, despite the fact that Seattle did win to get into the postseason, they are kind of trending in different directions. Remember, this was the Seattle team that was leading the division for the first half of the season. Niners overtook them in the middle of the 10-game winning streak and ultimately won the division by beating Seattle in Seattle, and they haven't looked back on their way to uh, a a gigantic season, a 13-4 and regular season. To answer your question, did the postseason, you know, did the setup, did the seeding kind of play the way the Niners wanted it to? I think so. If we try to extrapolate this out a little bit, it's Niners against Seahawks, Minnesota against the Giants, Tampa Bay against Dallas. Winners of those games, of course, advance to the next round. So does Philadelphia, who has the bye. The 
worst overall seed will take Philadelphia and the remaining team would take the winner most likely would take the Niners most likely assuming that they they knock off the Seahawks and the highest remaining team is probably Dallas because they didn't win their division they're the five seed which means they would go to Philadelphia and the Niners might get say a Minnesota perhaps the uh, the Giants pull off an upset, and the Niners would probably get Dallas because the Giants, so the lower seed, would, would then go to Philadelphia. I, I think I'm going a little too deep into this, but ultimately the point is if things play out on a relatively normal, I don't know, expectancy, the the third best team in the conference, Evan, which I think you and I could probably agree is Dallas, and you might be a, a holdout for the Vikings. I know Dallas had a really pathetic performance this last week against Washington, but ultimately it didn't matter because the Eagles did win and that Eagles game was was over pretty quickly. Um, they're going to take on a, a really tough Dallas team, most likely in the second round of the playoffs. And then who knows where it goes from there. So I think while, while the Niners would have loved to get the one seed, obviously, as the two seed, I don't think that the, the postseason matchup could have really fallen much better for the 49ers in the NFC. Well, yeah, and that's why I do think like we'll have time to go through you know some of the matchups a little more in depth. But just looking at New York, that's a team that can I think beat Minnesota on the road. Dallas, I think they like they should be the third best team in the NFC, but today did not play like it because <laughs> Dak Prescott in the last three weeks has been a shell of himself, uh, or or maybe this is who he is. I don't know. I I'm trying to figure out who the hell Dak Prescott is. I'm sure like everyone else is. But, that, but that's my point is beyond the top two teams, each each team that's that San Francisco is going to face in that second round, of course, should they beat Seattle, is going not to not going to be a walk in the park, but compared to the AFC is going to be, in my opinion, a significantly easier path to get to the conference title game. And yes, you're gonna have to go to Philadelphia in all likelihood. But unless they get knocked off or, you know, Jalen Hurts isn't 100% and they got to go with Gardner Minshew, who knows? But Dallas can beat Tampa. Tampa can beat Dallas. I wouldn't be afraid of either of those teams if I were the 49ers. And if New York beats Minnesota, then, you know, you're not going to get them. So you're going to get one of the other two. But if Minnesota beats New York, that's also a team you're not necessarily afraid of. So it, it isn't just that the, the playoff picture has unfolded, in my opinion, in favor of San Francisco, but it's that all of the teams behind them that they'll likely have to go through before they play the Eagles, I don't think are going to challenge them in a physical manner to the point where they are spent heading into that conference championship game, even though Philly would have a bye and that rest week advantage. Yeah, I think there's a very real possibility. I think this is the point that both of us are getting to. There's a very real possibility that while the Eagles have the bye, I mean, they certainly have the advantage. They earned that as the one seed. There is, though, a very real possibility that the Niners have, quote-unquote, the more favorable matchup in the divisional round. Because, as we've talked about, there is a chance, because of the way that the NFL works out their, their uh, postseason bracket, there's a chance that the Cowboys head to Dallas or head to Philadelphia in that divisional round and the Niners get whoever else survives, likely Minnesota, potentially Minnesota. I, the, the point is because there are two really good teams in the same division as the Eagles, that benefits the 49ers because there could be that divisional matchup in the divisional round of the postseason. So I do agree with you. you you'd still would prefer to have that buy and you know the Eagles deserve that buy but if the Niners take care of business in the wild card round you might hear some talk about the Niners being the favorite to win the NFC because the Eagles have the tougher matchup in that second round of the postseason we're probably getting ahead of ourselves I know the rest of the week we'll focus on the Seahawks and how the Niners can win for the third time against this team I know we talked last episode about how embarrassing it would be to lose to the Seahawks in the postseason on your home field. Uh, we'll talk a lot about that, I'm sure. But I think the Niners are positioned pretty well uh, on a 10-game winning streak. There's no hotter team in the NFL than them right now. They have health, relatively speaking. They'll probably get healthier before the postseason comes around on Saturday. It is a short week, but still, things looking up for the 49ers. I think they're set up for success in the playoffs.
Yeah, so right now they'd be facing the Seattle Seahawks, the two hosting the seven on Saturday, January 14th. The official kick time, according to the NFL, is one thirty-five. So make sure to get that in your calendars. The first game of the Super Wild Card Weekend. Uh, Mark, the reason they are playing the Seattle Seahawks is because the San Francisco 49ers are the two seeds. So, my friend, you have the floor. Uh, I don't I don't remember exactly what day it was, Evan, but it I know was it a was, long time ago it was after the Christian McCaffrey trade. I think it might have been during the bye week. I should have done some recon and, and tried to figure it out. Uh, but the Niners acquired Christian McCaffrey, then lost to the Kansas City Chiefs and then went on the road and beat the Rams and improved to four and four. The Niners have not lost since. But after that, after the win in Los Angeles and the Niners became four and four, I came out with the fire hot take, Evan, saying the Niners would end the season as the number two seed in the NFC. And mind you, at that point, the Vikings had one loss. The Niners had four. I had the guts to come out and say the Niners would come out with the two seed in the NFC. And would you look at that? They are the two seed as we enter the postseason. I get my victory lap and oh, Evan, it feels sweet. Yeah, two seed via the tiebreaker. <laughs> hey, the two seeds, the two seed. It is. Well, no, but that that's and this is what we're going to be talking about this week is like and why I I know Philadelphia is the one. I know that. They have home field advantage should they host a conference title game. But that's why I do think that like, it, it's starting to feel like to me, like the 49ers should run the table this postseason. They are 10 and two against the NFC. They swept their division. We can get into maybe their, the weakness of their schedule because as far as strength, the schedule at the end of the season, it is technically the weakest of all the NFC teams. So whether they're untested or not, whether they took care of business, we can dive into that in Wednesday's episode. But for me, it's like, they have been so dominant against the teams they have faced, and you can only play who's in front of you. With the way that the other teams have looked, and Minnesota going from one loss to four, and the Niners going from four losses to four. like They have, in my mind, earned my confidence when it comes to the NFC in the postseason. So that's that's where I want to want to pick up on the next episode, Mark. And I know we're running out a little bit of time here, but uh, that's that's how I feel. I, I agree with you. I want to get into that as well next episode. I, I know we got to give out game balls, but really quickly, I wanted to read off one stat too. I don't know if you saw this. You mentioned NFC dominance in general. Mm-hmm. NFC West, more specifically, Niners 6-0. and They sweep their division, but they absolutely dominated. In those six games, six games Niners scored 169 points. Opponents scored 53 the Niners were plus 116 in six division games this year, beating their opponents in their division by an average of almost 20 per game. Just straight up dominance. You gave me a lot of ammunition for the next episode right there. <laughs> All right, game balls, Mark. What do you got? This is a tough one because it was a real team effort. We, you talked a lot earlier about how spread around the attack was offensively. Um, I might be taking your pick, and for that, I apologize, but I'm going Elijah Mitchell. Only five carries, but took advantage. Five carries, 55 yards in his return, and had two big touchdowns. Elijah Mitchell gets my game ball. The change of pace back behind Christian McCaffrey. He was good. Okay. Well, I I kind of already slobbered over George Kittle, so and I don't necessarily want to do it again. I mean, don't get me wrong, I will. But (laughs) I think think if I got to give out a game ball, it's probably – it's. It's the quarterback today. It's Brock Purdy. I know he wasn't necessarily anything special, but that's also kind of where I've I've come to with Brock Purdy. It's like 15 of 20 for 178, 180 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, no turnovers, 141.2 rating. Like that is in a way against this Arizona Cardinals backup team, this depleted group. That is a ho-hum day. And for most other quarterbacks, I do think we'd be a little more excited about that stat line. But for him, because of what he has done, the consistency that he has shown through his first five starts, six games, and six wins, I'm to the point now where I am appreciative of it, and I think he deserves the game ball in this case for orchestrating and managing this offense today. But it is to the point now where it's become 
a little expected. Not necessarily the three touchdowns, but the efficiency and the flow of the offense and the production of points. That's where I've gotten to with Brock Purdy. So I, I maybe not just for today, but I do think that there have been a couple of games where I actually I, I probably haven't given, a, given him a game ball where he deserves it. Uh, so it'll be Brock Purdy today. Yeah, good pick. McCaffrey, 79 total yards. He had a touchdown as well. He deserves a shout out. You already mentioned George Kittle. He was good. I think Nick Bosa deserves a shout out. He had another sack. Finishes with 18 and a half on the year. That leads the NFL. He is your sack king in 2022 in the NFL. He does fall one shy of Alden Smith for the Niners' single season individual record. Uh, but he was talking post game about how it was a bigger deal for him to lead the NFL. And, and he had some guys on the staff keeping track of Hassan Reddick for the Eagles, who was second in the NFL. And once they saw Hassan Reddick did not have a sack late in that game. Bosa felt comfortable taking the fourth quarter off with just that first sack he had earlier. So Nick Bosa is your sack king in the NFL. He deserves a shout out as well, but plenty of praise to go around for the 49ers. Oh, speaking of sack kings, I actually do have to give a shout out to uh, J.J. Watt for the Arizona Cardinals True. playing in his very last game in the NFL. He was so good. And he was incredible. If, if he wanted to keep playing, I wouldn't blame him. Uh, 12 he had sacks, two sacks this year. 12 sacks this year, two sacks against the 49ers. And on a defensive line where there's really not a whole lot else going on. Yeah. So for J.J. Watt to, to do that today against the 49ers, I thought was pretty impressive. And obviously, you know, over 100 sacks for his career. He's on his way to the Hall of Fame. He's one of the most dominant defensive linemen I've ever seen. And in his prime, that dude was unstoppable, mm -hmm. as well as a guy who could also bat down balls at a rate that I have never seen before at the line of scrimmage. So he was, in every sense of the word, a problem on defense and in his last game in the NFL remained that. Yeah. And did you know, this was actually the only active stadium he had not ever played at in his career. And he managed mm. to do it in his final game. And uh, it'll go down in the record books. Brock Purdy, the last quarterback that JJ Watt ever sacked in his legendary career. Yeah. We'll see how long uh, that name remains in history <laughs> for the 49ers as well as uh, also JJ Watt. So, who knows? Uh, but that has been this episode of the 415ers podcast. We appreciate you sticking with us, and we'll be back on Wednesday to break down. Really, the, I, I think we're going to take a look at the entire season. Obviously, we'll take a look ahead to Seattle before our preview on Friday, but a lot of good content coming your way and a look back at the season that is and the season that still continues on to the postseason. So they'll take on Seattle, two versus the seven. 49ers finished the year on a 10-game win streak, best point differential in the NFL. Brock Purdy 6-0 in games that he can played the majority of in, and the 49ers are rolling. So, Mark, we're going to keep this thing rolling as well. I appreciate you as always. Yes, sir. You too, Evan. Look forward to catching up on Wednesday. Right on. Please download, rate, and subscribe to the 415ers podcast. Catch us wherever you download your podcast. That's Mark Grandy. I'm Evan Ginnings. We'll talk to you next time.